This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10 off T E N O F F for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone's doing well. This week, I'd like to welcome Katie Irizarry of Season of Mist to the Everything Went Black podcast. I met Katie when uh, Tombs first started working with Season of Mist, and uh, she turned out to be one of the cooler people that, uh, that works at the label. And the label is filled with really cool people, so the fact that Katie ranks as a cooler person amongst cool people is, uh, is pretty cool. So there you go. Anyway, Katie and I talk about a lot of different stuff. I've always been interested in the, uh, the world of PR, uh, only having dealt with PR on uh, the band side of things. So, uh, you know, it's good to pick her brain about all this stuff. And we also talk about just, you know, living in New York, you know, being of Italian descent and stuff like that. But uh, before we get going, I want to shout out the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. Of course, I'm referring to Brandon Legion of the Horror Wolf 666 podcast. Our mutual friend, Jackie Smith of uh, Into the Necrosphere, the first out of two extreme music podcasts I listen to now on a regular basis. Of course, this is uh, Everything Went Black. On Thursday, I return with co-hosts Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid for Necromaniacs. We talk about horror movies and uh, horror-adjacent stuff as well. On Sunday, the Lord's Day, Carl Hikara comes at you with soul knocks for all things blasphemous, esoteric, and arcane. If you want to support the podcast, please sign up for the Patreon you can join and support this show for as little as $1 a month that entitles you to all the bonus material, which there's lots of right now. We have uh, Long Shadows, a show that I do with Ralph Schmidt. We talk about weird fiction, cosmic horror, stuff like that. Uh, we have Hollywood Babylon, which is a show dedicated to movie classics. Um, some of them aren't that old. Some of them are more recent, but mostly stuff from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that's uh, Evan Hopper joins me on that. Also, every week, I throw you guys a staff pick, which could be a movie, a record, a book, whatever. Just stuff that I think you guys should know about. And that's it. So, uh, oh yeah, one more thing. I always forget to do this. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. Everything Went Black podcast. You can find me on Instagram as Michael DC Hill underscores, uh, separating everything. And um, yeah, so now on with the show. Happy holidays, Katie. 
Oh, thank you. You too. It's okay. You don't have to be politically correct. You can wish me Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you're, uh, you know, a Christian, a Christian. To be fair, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I was raised Catholic. I'm not practicing by any means, nor do I believe in it. But, you know, I don't, to me, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, someone wish me a happy Hanukkah and I'll be like, thank you. Like, it's just nice to someone wishing you a, a, a well holiday wish, you know? Yeah, I, I was also raised uh, Roman Catholic, so on. <laughs> you know the struggle. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely. So uh, you had good holiday? You get time off from work and all that? Oh, my God, I did, and that's been such a relief. I needed that, this, this break. I mean, it hasn't been super restful because I've just been catching up on, like, all my, like, errands and shit that I haven't had time to do, but at least I'm able to – mentally not have to deal with work right now or anything little things i've been doing here and there but nothing like overwhelming or crazy i have to ask you are you uh do you like pizza yes i do all right i figured you did since uh you're from staten island originally I, exactly of course yeah in fact i'm insufferable because i live out here now and i'm always like no i won't eat that i won't eat that pizza <laughs> do you uh do you know who dave portnoy is yeah, from Barstool Sports, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, our, yeah. So he has um like a pizza YouTube channel, and okay. Uh, so you know, uh, Ninja, my drummer, sent me this thing where he was talking about Santillo's in Elizabeth. Oh are, shit! Okay. Are you familiar with that place? No, but I know where Elizabeth is. Okay. It's like right across across the bridge from Staten Island. Yeah. So Portnoy was going off about how great this pizza was, right? And uh, I'm like, I should check this out. I should look into this because I, too, am a big fan of pizza. Yes. <laughs> I got to be honest with you, man. It wasn't all that great. Furthermore, really? Ooh, okay. Furthermore, Portnoy gave it, uh, a sort of lukewarm review of Spumoni Gardens L&B. Benson what yes no okay so now i've eaten there in fact when like when high lung was here and they had an off day in brooklyn i was literally like if you guys have time today go to coney island and go to lmb's Fimoni gardens for lunch before or after you go like that is always my recommendation and like i wish it wasn't like in the middle of nowhere brooklyn because i would love to fucking take bands there more I are you kidding me? He gave them a what the hell? Yeah, yeah Where is yeah. that guy from? He nah. can't be from the <laughs> East Coast like we are. So, I did a little research because I was like, you know, I was having fun looking stuff up on YouTube. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I so I'm like on his on his channel, and I'm like, all right, you know, this guy obviously doesn't know what the hell he's talking about because that is literally one of the greatest. That that's like a wonderland to me. Literally, yeah. literally, yes. Good any time of year, summertime, winter, all four seasons. That place, totally awesome. Yes. So this guy's from Swampscott, Massachusetts. So they're, see they're, now his opinion. That's why this explains everything. His opinion is invalid. Like, sorry, but if you're not from like the the uh, New York City, not even New York, because I feel like the further you go, like up north, like past like, uh, you know, uh, like Long Island, you're not you're also probably don't know what you're talking about when it comes to pizza. And like even New Jersey, I feel there's like a cutoff between like North Jersey and South Jersey where the further South you go, the more it's like, I don't know. I don't know that I trust your opinion on pizza. Like even here in Philly, 
there's places like I don't want to say names because I don't know if they're like mom and pop places and stuff like that, whatever, where everyone in the office raves about. And then we'll get the pizza. And I'm like, like, honestly, this is the equivalent of fucking like Elio's cheese pizza in the microwave. Like, this is (laughs) shit. What are you guys so excited about? Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things I miss from New York. It's the pizza. Also bagels. Like you can't get like a big New York style bagel like the even flavors like egg bagel. I feel like it's so hard to find outside of New York. Like there's just certain things when I go there, like there's a very specific deli that I will go to and get either just a bagel and just eat it straight up plain. That's how much like I love these bagels or I will get like a full on bacon egg and cheese oh, on yeah. a bagel. Yeah, because it's like I, I can't get that out here. Yeah, now we're talking. I, I um, yes. there's a my go-to spot in Brooklyn is uh, Terrace Bagels. It's um, where kinda, in Brooklyn it, is it, that? It's on uh, it's in technically technically it's not Park Slope, but when I used to live in Park Slope, I used to go up there. So it's around Prospect okay. Heights, Prospect Park area. Yep, I know that area well. Yeah, yeah, that's it's the best, man. I used to even when I wherever I lived in Brooklyn, if I wanted good bagels, I would take a trip out there I'd get like a dozen or something like that and have them around you know yeah exactly like Staten Island doesn't have much to offer but there's a couple spots that have really good bagels um in particular it's like the one deli because I feel like too especially like growing up like we knew the good deli and they just stayed consistent that I will just always go to because it's just like it's nostalgic and it's like I just can't like living out here in PA I just can't find bagels on this this level yeah, it's it's weird. Pizza too. It's weird. Yeah. You know, because like when I uh when I first left the East Coast, when I got out of college, I went out west. And um so I'm like, oh, you know, get a couple slices, something like that, you know. They don't sell it by the slice. Okay. Wash Oh my steak. I know there's places that don't sell it by the <laughs> slice. Or you order and then also when you order a pizza, it's like one size and it's like not it's more like a, a flatbread. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's some and, places too. Yeah. And there's the option for like pineapple and all this other fruity stuff on there. Yeah. Um oh my god. <laughs> Listen, I'm not anti pineapple pizza, but really? I also feel like I'm not. I will fuck with a pineapple pizza. Pineapple specifically pineapple and some type of pork, like bacon or ham. Like without that second element, I wouldn't fuck with it, but there's something about that like pork combo with the pineapple on the pizza. But even then, you could only get good pineapple pizza if it's good pizza to begin with. Like, that to me is the true test of good pizza. Like, you could put whatever you want on it, but it's still going to taste like shit if it's not good pizza. Like, you could disguise it with pepperoni or pineapple or whatever, but if it's not quality pizza. But if you go to, like, a quality – like, I wouldn't go to get it, though, at someplace like L&B's. Because to me, it's like their pizza is just so good to enjoy just as is. But um, certain places, like, yeah, I, would, I mean, it's not my go-to, but, like, I would fuck with it. And I have. I will say I'm not, I'm not anti-pineapple pizza. But like I said, I think it's weird if there's no pork to complement that pineapple on that pizza. You know, that, that's a good point because oftentimes uh, ham has pineapple mm-hmm. on it. So I can understand that combination working out, actually. Exactly. Ham and bacon with that. Even if you get both, you know. Trust me, ham and bacon and pineapple on that pizza. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we covered that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, PR is a beh- behind-the-scenes gig. And um, 
it, in some ways, it's kind of a thankless job, yet it's crucial to an artist on a label trying to, uh, you know, get press, get noticed, like that kind of thing. So how did you get into PR? You know, it's really interesting. First of all, you saying it's a thankless job. Funny enough, the first ever interview I went on for um, uh, to do publicity was with a woman who to this day I consider not just a friend, but still a mentor. She didn't hire me, but to be fair, she was like, you're way too green. I need someone with experience. I don't have time to train anyone. But she was the one who said to me, are you sure you want to do this? This is a thankless job. And funny enough, in some ways it is, but in other ways, I feel I've been really lucky to work in scenarios where I do feel that there's gratitude for the work that I do. But in any case, it's, you know, definitely was never on my like list of possibilities. To be fair, I feel I had a very limited scope to begin with coming into the music industry of what I really could do. You know, I started in journalism, moved into radio and through radio, I got into radio promotions. And that's what kind of made me realize I have a knack for this, talking to people and getting them hype on a record because it's genuine, you know, like I'm hyped for this record. So I'm going to share that enthusiasm with you. And I feel that's going to that comes through sometimes like, OK, I'm going to hear what this person has to say because, you know, I'm not reading a script. I'm not, you know, just selling a product. I'm telling you to check out something that I genuinely believe in. And, um, you know, I enjoy doing radio promo. And from there, I then started working at a record label as an assistant. And part of my job was assisting with, um, we had Carol Kay, who was one of the biggest, like, names in publicity, like, she's done Kiss and, you know, um, Alice Cooper, which is who we were working with her with at the time. And I'm just, like, started realizing this job is so... Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's so glamorous in some ways. Handling the guest list, I felt, were just a glamorous job. Now I'm like, get help, get away from me. I don't want to handle this guest list, you know. But at the time, it was like some of these things just felt like so exciting to. And also, I'm a really social person, and to me, the social aspect of the job, I felt I thrived at being able to communicate with people and put myself out there. So I realized this is kind of the next step from radio promotion, and it just came very naturally. Um, also, writing was a big part of that. And, you know, I've always thought starting out, I felt journalism was a good path. But then when I realized, you know, the amount of work and the amount of pay you get doing journalism and also how much how little control you have, the better paying corporate kind of job you have, it didn't really become and while it's something I still freelance and do as a hobby, I realized that couldn't really be a career. So I felt PR gave me that opportunity to also still write and do a little bit of everything. So I started pursuing PR jobs and I eventually got my first job um, at Adrenaline PR, working there full time, did that for a year and then went with John Freeman. And this is actually here at Season of Mist, the first time I've been um in a, in a director role uh, or like managerial PR role. And also the first time I've done it specifically for a label and not doing it indie. So, but I, I really just felt it's my calling because it kind of just combines, not to mention I'm also just really organized and um, can be quick thinking and proactive instead of reactive. So I just feel this is really, the, the job was just kind of my calling and it just kind of came naturally. Yeah, we worked with uh, Freeman before. I like I like John. John John's a good. Yeah, no, he's great. With. Yeah, 
he taught me a lot. He really did. Um, and, you know, I, and to be honest, I probably would have um, stayed with him full time if this opportunity hadn't arisen with Season of Mist and just gave me an opportunity to move and work with bands that were a little bit more in my wheelhouse. I didn't realize that you were also in journalism. I didn't I didn't know that about you. I knew you worked in radio, but I didn't realize that you wrote, too. Yes. Um, matter of fact, last year, and this was probably the last real thing that I had written with the exception of like maybe a couple of like random listicles for Loudwire here and there. I actually wrote the uh, Alexi Leho Bodom After Midnight Memorial cover story for Outburn. And I started when I was 17 as a senior in high school as an intern with Metal Edge magazine. And from there, I was also a editor, a web editor at Revolver for a couple of years. So that was a path I had pursued and I had done a lot. But again, like I said, I just feel certain like the more creative and the more leeway you get in certain spaces, it's usually the less money that there is. Because when people want to make money, you need clicks. So they want you to write a positive review about this Metallica record. You can't write a negative one, even if that's how you feel kind of thing. Yeah, I I uh, dabbled in in journal music journalism specifically for a while, and and yeah, it's it's a uh, it's hard to be honest and make money doing that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like I'm I'm lucky I'm at season of mist because I say such inflammatory things sometimes. I'm like, man, the Osbournes would never work with me. <laughs> Metallica would never work with me. You know, but it's like that's not my world anyway. You know, my world is here with more of like the cult underground kind of music it's not in the mainstream with those kinds of bands when, when you worked with revolver which uh which sort of era of that publication was were you working with because you know there's like that inked era there's like i know brandon uh geist was always like the editor for uh from for many years but there yeah. was like the two different sort of versions of the magazine. There was like the more modern one now, which I think only comes out four times a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, it relies heavily on, uh, you know, videos and like, you know, the internet and web based things and not so much, a, you know, like a, a tactile magazine. So which, which era were you involved with? I was literally there right at the cusp of the transition, funny enough. I came in when they were still operated by New Bay Media, which is where like Guitar World and I forget what else, but a lot of other like big name music magazines. So this is when Revolver, um, this was actually the first year that they stopped doing the Hottest Chicks in Metal issue. The year I came on, they had the, the year before was the final one of that. Um, and they were moving, I guess, into a little more of like a, uh, a hipster. Not really. I guess it was like in that weird in between of like they were still more like metalcore and, you know, still covering like Slipknot heavily and stuff like that. But we're definitely starting to explore more like Deaf Heaven and bands like that when I came in. And then within one year of me being hired, they switched over, left New Bay, and went to this new media group, Project M. So I was there for the whole transition to where they started to ramp up their digital presence. And in fact, when that happened, I stepped down from web, web editor, not really down, more like a lateral move, and I became podcast director. And I was in charge of all of their podcast properties and editing those and um, taking care of producing those and taking care of the content. But then it all kind of fizzled out. And at that point, too, when 
they started doing less of the digital stuff and my role started becoming obsolete with the podcast, it kind of worked out because then I went full time with season and missed and moved to Philadelphia anyway. Right on. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't even know the last time I think I had anything to do, uh, as, as an artist this time around, not so much as a contributor. Um, they were like in the basement of, uh, inked magazine in Manhattan. That's sort of the last interaction I had with Revolver. Yes, they were still in that building, I believe, when I I can't remember actually where the New Bay building was when I started with them. But then I know when we they made the switch, the building was then somewhere in Dumbo in this like really nice like it was in a WeWork actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really nice, and we had our own studio that for really for me and Jimmy Hubbard to use for our video and podcast content, which was really sick. Um, so it was really cool, but I guess, you know, things just went in a different direction. I was also there my first year there at the end of like, not even really, it was more like halfway through my first year there was the last ever revolver awards, like golden gods. Oh yeah. Sort of an end of an era that along with the uh, demise of the hottest chicks in metal. Definitely. I know if one of those things could come back though, I'm not going to lie. I love the golden gods. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, that stuff was cool, man. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, exactly. So mostly what you've been doing, I mean, this is all pretty much in extreme music and metal. So what was uh, your entry point into metal? Like, what, what about metal? Like, what, you know, why that? It was definitely, like, twofold. I mean, I, growing up, I was a 90s kid, so let's be real. I grew up on, like, the Spice Girls and NSYNC and Britney Spears. Like, that was my... But there was like that was my gateway into music. But I always had this really intense passion for music that I always feel was just different than my peers, like obsessive, you know, like and and I feel like the energy I still have to this day. And as I got a little bit older and, you know, I wasn't really connecting with that music anymore. I had watched a lot of TRL, which was a music video countdown show on MTV for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, (laughs) because it has sadly been long off the air. And I used to watch that a lot for bands like obviously NSYNC and stuff like that. But as I'm watching it, I'm finding I'm more intrigued by this Korn video and I'm more intrigued by this Marilyn Manson video. And these are starting to speak to me a little bit more. I guess too, it makes sense because it's, you know, at like 12 years old when you're right on the cusp of being a teen and being angstier and uh, hormonal and everything. It just, that kind of music spoke to me more. So that was kind of the, and Linkin Park too, I would say was a big game changer. I actually think that's really the band that I first heard was like, whoa, what is this? This is awesome. And from there, once I started getting into those bands, I have an older cousin who I'm willing to bet you probably know. Okay. Uh, his name is Jojo Irizarry. Like, if you see him, you might recognize him, but he's also, like, an old-school hardcore dude. Like, I'm certain you have been in a room with him and probably have crossed paths with him before um, because you're you're totally run some of the same circles, and I know for a fact you have a lot of crossover friends. Yeah, but I'm anyway, definitely on the periphery of that scene, though, honestly. I, you know what I mean? I'm not really – True. Uh, you know, I got I have friends and bands. Uh, I'm not uh, the kind of guy who was at like CBs in the 80s or anything like that. You know what I mean? But uh, 
That's fair. Yeah, he was yeah. like a Lemoore's guy. Okay. Yeah. Well, then maybe. Yeah. Like that was. More so that's what I'm thing. saying. He was both. He was like hardcore and metal, um, and punk. Like he was into all of it. But he was definitely more of like at Lemoore's seeing those kinds of shows. Okay. But he once he was realized, oh, cousin Katie likes metal. Then it was listen to Slayer, listen to the Misfits, listen to Metallica, listen to Sepultura, and he also started feeding me all this music. So I just kind of had like this perfect storm of consuming and discovering a lot of the modern bands through TV. And then that becoming a gateway to discover a lot of the older music. And then I would say funny enough, again, like kind of tying into TV, I was laughed at like my foray into black metal was watching Viva La Bam with Bam Margera and an oh, episode. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this song? This is amazing. And I, you know, look, waited for the credits at the end of the episode and looked at the name of the song and it was Cradle of Filth. And that was totally my gateway. And I think that's why to this day I usually prefer, prefer or more like melodic and like atmospheric black metal. There's a lot to like about Cradle of Filth. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, they're still putting out great music as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. They're not one of my go-to bands, but I have uh, an appreciation for them just because of the whole like, you know, Bram Stoker, like vampire, like connection, yes. you know, and I was, I always thought that was really cool. And now um, I actually, uh, I interviewed Davey and, um, really? Yeah. Danny, Danny, Donnie, Phil, Donnie, Dan, yeah. Donnie, why did I say Davey? Danny or Donnie? Donnie, <laughs> it's right. Donnie. It's been a long day. Yeah. yeah. I think, it's, I don't know. He's British. So when yeah. he says his name, it sounds like he's saying I'm Donnie filth, but I'm like, I don't, but I say it, Danny. So I don't know. One yeah. of those. <laughs> Donnie filth. Yeah. Yeah. Donnie filth. Yeah. Very, very cool guy. And, um, you know, we talked about the occult and like also horror films and like and 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 also music. And he's just like a really really personable dude. And I had a lot of a lot of fun talking to that guy. That's awesome. I gotta say, anyone I know who's toured with him or interviewed him or worked with him in any capacity only have positive things to say about him. I have not met him. Um, definitely on like on a goal list, especially because in like high school it was like him and like Marilyn Manson that just covered my binders in school. So it's like, that's a goal totally to meet him. But, um, and I've, I've heard that he's extremely cool from anyone I know who's had to work with him. I could see how Marilyn Manson would be an, uh, sort of a gateway into like the darker side of music. Really? You know I mean? Absolutely. I mean, you're watching a music video on MTV and here's this man and he's got breasts and he's in all white and he's dancing and it's creepy. And you're like, what the fuck is this? And I feel, too, again, like I've always like as a kid, you know, when I'd sleepovers with my friends, we weren't watching rom-coms. We were watching Children of the Corn and uh, Friday the 13th. Like, I, I, I feel like so that there's that spooky element that's always thrilled me and seeing that incorporated in music and it definitely was my first for i mean who can forget being a kid and hearing the rumor of marilyn manson removing his rib cage to suck his own dick <laughs> so i mean there's things like that and of course too i feel that's the age when i started to uh become more independent and realizing i'm, I'm not the religion you know we spoke a little bit about being uh growing up catholic and that was when i started kind of not really starting to reject that and um 
here comes a band like Marilyn Manson, who's totally the antithesis of how I was raised. And that was also an appeal at Cradle of Filth, because even though their music was definitely more romantic, but all of like the and there was all the horror aspects of vampires. There was also this like dark satanic asset uh, aspect that was really drew me to them. You know, it's funny you talk about uh, being Christian and Roman Catholic and all that. But Catholics are like it's kind of a black metal religion, really, if you think about how evil and brutal it is. Like if you go back, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you get into like the you know, if you read Milton's Paradise Lost or something like that. Um, you know, which, you know, obviously that's about Lucifer's fall from grace into hell. And it's, uh, I don't know, like without the context of music and you just read that as a, you know, as a piece of writing, it's a fucking horror story, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And there's also a lot of stories that are just about like extreme violence you know, like uh, God telling someone, hey, kill your own son to prove yourself to me. Like, I don't know. It sounds like it could be like a, a death metal song. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, Uf- UFOs, yeah. UFOs and aliens are also in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. But I, my grandmother was from Italy, right? So mine too, actually. She's from Naples. Where's yours from? Uh, Arbrobella, which is on the, okay. uh, the Adriatic, sort of by Rome on the uh by the boot okay heel, sort of you know um, further south when i was growing up there was all this like intense like iconography in her house you know and i, I had a very 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 close relationship with my grandmother i mean she was like the, you know helped raise me when i was a kid right and i was always very very scared of this crucifix that she had and it was like this very graphic it's a crucifix. It's like Jesus Christ, like suffering with like uh, the stigmata and the sword sticking out of him and blood. And I was like, that's like uh, one of the things that really was like impressed, impressed upon me, this kind of awe, I guess, of like these kind of like supernatural elements and religion and like all this kind of stuff. That's a very good point. A lot of the imagery of Jesus Christ in particular is extremely graphic. And if you think about it, too, so is all the imagery of like, um, who is it? St. Michael killing Lucifer. And the same thing. It's always this like uh, also very sexy. A lot of these statues are very sexy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's always some like, you know, guy with abs. He's kind of like a swimmer's build, you know, very very sexy guy. Yeah. Exactly. Like, looks like he's built off like Hercules, which is also true. A lot of these gods have, you know, basically their stories were built upon similar stories told in ancient Greece and Rome and Egypt, um, just like, you know, rewritten. And um, so that's one of the stories where you see like these statues of this really hot Adonis looking man slaying this beast like you know, it's like it's first of all kind of sexy. And yes, also like scary and very horror-esque. And there's a thrill to it, too, because in a way, it's that horror that, you know, when you're growing up, you're told witches don't exist and vampires don't exist and zombies aren't real. But you're not told that that's not real. So I feel there's something about it when you grow up and you believe this is a real horror that could like a a real life demon story that could happen. Well, just real quick about the art. Um, That was a way for a lot of the artists who were, were gay to yes. kind of, you know, 
express themselves. You know, That's very the true. Male, the male form. And, you know, it's not like in ancient Rome, every single Roman was like shredded, you know, and, uh, you know, it was all jacked and everything, walking around with like a loincloth on or, you know, just like a, you know, a tunic with a bare right. chest, you know, that was like average people too. I mean, humans are the same now as they were when they were wandering around the savannas and, you know, but uh, yeah, that was like uh, sort of under the guise of, of a religious iconography, like gay artists were able to like express themselves that way. That's a very good point. That's very true. I mean, and you look to like something like, Granted, look, you don't always know if they were or weren't because obviously back then it was a crime in most cases punishable by death. Um, but you even look at like the Sistine Chapel and it's like, that's pretty gay. Yeah. It's pretty homoerotic, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of an awesome troll job too, if you think about it. It was kind like, of funny this- because I was thinking like, I'm like, oh man, everyone was like in really good shape back then, you know? <laughs> Yeah, also true. Yeah, exactly. It's like, man, there was a lot of sexy men back then. What happened? Yeah, is it like the diet, you know, the Mediterranean diet or something like that, that, uh, you know, had these guys like pretty, pretty good, like low body fat, you know, body mass, you know, indexes, like that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> true. Um, Actually, you know, I've told this story before, but the, um, the first, my, my earliest cinematic memory is going to see The Exorcist with my parents when I was like four or something like that. Oh my god! In the drive-in, you know. So this explains a lot. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just, you know, all these years, I was like, it just kind of things that happened in your life, you just kind of take it for granted. You know, you're like, all right, this happened. You know, not like yes. this happened. This is just like a movie, basically. It's not like I, you know, some traumatic event or anything. But right, that. And like the, uh, you know, seeing the exorcist and the, the scary Jesus hanging from the cross, like definitely makes, puts a, a, shines a light onto some of my interests. You know what I mean? And would you say that, you know, as a growing up with this kind of background, I mean, I, I, are you Italian or? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So my, same like you, my grandmother also, uh, my, my father's mother came from Naples and she so she immigrated here and she also had a part in raising us because when my father and mother got married she moved in with them so she lived with us until she got a lot older and i was like in high school at that point and then she moved in with my aunt so yeah so we're italian and um culturally too i would say mostly italian because of the way she raised us and being around the culture like directly where, I mean, I'm very mixed, but that I would say is like my primary culture. Pretty much the same over here. I mean, I, uh, you know, yeah. my, my dad's like family is from northern, some variety of different northern European countries. Uh, but uh, for my birthday one year, I was given the 23andMe, uh, you know, kit to check out like what, you know, what my genetic breakdown was. And actually, Pretty much mostly Mediterranean, Italian, you know, that area. So, you know, whatever. Also, a very large percentage of uh, Neanderthal genes, too, by the way. Stop. <laughs> What's Neanderthal? Like, literally Neanderthal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. literally. <laughs> Get the fuck out. That's amazing. Holy, I've never even heard of that being a thing. That is incredible. <laughs> I was... Um, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> 
Have you ever done anything like that? Check out your. Okay, uh, I have a story. You know, it's so funny because when you brought this up, the Italian thing, I was like, "Is this a good time to tell this story?" You know what? Yes, I'm telling the story because I'm here to entertain, and it is just so spectacularly ridiculous. And I swear to you, this is fucking true. Holy shit! Okay, so same thing. Like a couple of years ago, it was right before the pandemic. So Christmas 2019, my dad uh, got my brother and I DNA tests. Okay. So. I really wasn't super interested for whatever reason. I even kind of like forgot we even got them, but my brother was really excited and took it right away. So we were at that point, you know, we obviously know my grandmother is Italian and my father's father um, was from Puerto Rico and he's Puerto Rican. So, and I was particularly interested in this part because um, the region that his family or our last name is from is actually like, in the south of France. So I was just curious if we had like a little French or something or whatever. So my brother takes his test, he gets his results and everything pretty much checks out. They're very similar. Like the stuff on my mom's side was pretty similar there, but he had no Hispanic in him whatsoever. Yeah. So we're just like, you know, that's normal that you can actually, you know, have a relative that has something and have it not come up. No big deal. But now the next morning, it's like six o'clock in the morning and my dad is like, call me. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is this about? So I call him and the first words out of his mouth are like, I don't think my father's my father. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 what? He was like, yeah. And he tells me this whole thing about. I swear to you, this is a guy, Tony the Eggman. And his name was <laughs> Tony, Tony, the Tony the Eggman. And he was from New Jersey and he had a farm and he used to bring my grandma fresh eggs from his farm because she was neighbors with his sister. And that's how she met him or something like that. And my dad said that he had a suspicion growing up that my grandmother was having an affair with Tony the Eggman. And there's all these other anomalies that like my father has lighter skin than the rest of his siblings. You know, my father's very athletic. The rest of his siblings are not. Uh, My father is definitely um i don't know how to say this politely like more intelligent i guess than like his siblings like you know like (laughs) um so he there's definitely like anomalies and even his one of his like or some of his cousins used to joke you're the milk boy's kid you're the milkman's kid because he was so different from the rest of the family so now i'm like well you know what i think there's like a way you could like check like to see if any matches come up so maybe some matches will give us clues if this is true or not so we like are war dialing my brother he wakes up we're like you got to check he clicks the box where you could see matches and the last name comes up and that's when my dad was like yeah that that was that guy's last name that was his last name he was like because it was on his truck and that was the last name so um that's how we found out (laughs) and he's also italian Yes, he's also Italian, um, so I, we're, like, significantly more Italian than we thought. Uh, and he's a little bit Greek, which I think is pretty funny because um, that's something we, we didn't know. But, yeah, so we found out. And then the craziest thing is as soon as we find out, you know, we t- I tell everyone in the family, like, holy shit. And my aunt is like, oh, we got photos of him. So I go and I'm looking through the photo albums. And my grandmother, not only she has, like, a ton of photos of this guy – barely any photos of her own husband but he also looks so much like my father it was (laughs) crazy so we joke that like my grandfather's the egg man 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we found out when we took just unearthed family secrets. And I feel bad, honestly, for my grandma that she had to live with that secret and take it to her grave with her because I feel we all, you know, she said it would have been under, I mean, no one's judging her for it, you know, like yeah. I, we would have been understanding if we knew. So that's the story. My father has made attempts to reach out to some of the people that have come up, but they're like such distant relatives. And a lot of them, like, I feel people like take the test. I mean, I, if it weren't for this scenario, I'd have no reason to like check my inbox on there. You know, I'm, I would just take the test, look at my ancestry, what my results were. And that'd be the end of that. I wouldn't be looking back and, and seeing who's reaching out to me. Yeah. It's interesting how that works out. Cause you know, you think about, you know, when you're in high school science, you know, like genetics and all this, and you're like, oh, it's just an even split between your parents, but it's not even that. It's like you can have. That's what you think. Yes. Yeah, you it's can inherit so everything from one parent and like just nothing from the other. You know, it's crazy. But, or. It's so true. Yeah. You know, like uh, I've, I also discovered that I'm like 16% Native American too. Wow. See, that's also crazy. Yeah. And that's yeah. a that's a large, that's a pretty significant percentage if that, you think about it. That's like a whole person, you know? It is, yeah. Basically, exactly. that's because I started when that came up, I was like uh, you know, I looked into it a little bit, you know. I wasn't gonna pay uh, you know, extra money or whatever to figure this out, but they were like, Yeah, that's a full on person yes. somewhere in your family tree. And I'm thinking it ha probably came from my dad's side of the family because his, his family came over in like the 1800s, you know, and they like, you know, worked right. on the railroad and, you know, they were like these roughneck, like, you know, homesteading type of people and, you know, just like these kind of like, you know, they were around. Some of them settled in the south and somehow went out west. And um, my dad showed me pictures of like, you know, some of my old old relatives when they were young and they were just like they just look like trouble you know what i mean yeah like these yeah. like cowboy like you know oh my god <laughs> yeah you know what i'm trying to say and uh wild west yes i do yeah outlaws yeah outlaw types you know yeah yeah <laughs> so, mm -hmm. i got you <laughs> but uh, yeah it's just so crazy so i found all this stuff out and also that i'm you know uh a caveman and you know all that kind of stuff you know that's my favorite part. I didn't even know that was a possibility. Do you ever watch um, What We Do in the Shadows? Of course. That's amazing. It's I like love it. that episode when Colin Robinson says, I'm white. And they're like, well, that's a possibility. You have to be something. And he just looks and just says, white. Like, I <laughs> But that's like what the being a Neanderthal kind of reminds me of. Like, damn, they ain't even trying to identify <laughs> origin. <laughs> but it's also like, wow, that's so crazy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, kind of. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I That's... feel like it's also a rare mix to have uh, all those things. Like I feel, especially because of, you know, um, how few living Native Americans there are now, that's rare. And I feel like being a Neanderthal has to be super rare. So to be both <laughs> those things, you might be like a medical oddity. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, I have thought about uh, find, trying to find out at least like what, you know, group, what tribe. Because a friend, my friend, yeah, yeah, like my friend Retta is a uh, Native American, and she was like, I was telling her about it, and she's like, you know, you should find out, like, yeah, this might be like a whole other thing in your life that you could, you know, 
like find out about it, learn about it. Absolutely. You know, learn about that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I fully support that and think that would be super rad to figure out where, you know, you, you come from and, and embrace that part of your culture. Yeah, that, that's a, for, for many years, that's been a, even when I was a young kid, you know, I was, uh, I was read like, you know, Robert E. Howard and all these like ancient right. civilizations, like traveling across the ancient world. And this stuff has always really interested me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we It's funny because I feel we have people, especially my mom's side of the family, like multiple family members who are super into this genealogy and uh, tracing our family back and finding out all their origins and everything. And um, it's really fascinating when you learn some of these things. Like I'm, I, To me, I'm just like, I'll learn through you people. You people can just tell me stories and I'll just listen, you know. But they're really into and the stuff you find out is interesting. Now, if only we had someone on this side of the family who could find out more about Tony the Eggman. <laughs> My Eggman blood. Tony. He's it's funny. Yeah. Because he was, we, it came up part Greek. Like, I feel like I was like 7% Greek. And which is funny because my dad was only like 3%. He was like 97% Italian and like 3% Greek. And um, I my my way of embracing that culture is now every time I see Sockus from Rotting Christ, I'm like, my Greek brother, I'm part Greek. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a good segue into some of the other stuff I want to talk about, actually, now that you brought up Rotting Christ. Uh, yeah. And I'm not just saying this because, uh, you know, Caesar the Mist has been kind enough to release uh, some of uh, our creative output. But I have to say, Caesar the Mist is, has always been kind of a go to label for me, uh, even before our involvement with them when it comes to finding good music and, you know, stuff that is, uh, you know, dark and sort of atmospheric and, you know, grim. And, uh, you know, what what was that something that attracted what came first you working there or your interest in what they're doing like did you seek exactly. out Seasonist? yeah well i mean it did kind of just pop up at like the perfect time but yeah I, I always same thing like really was a big fan of their roster so to see that listing pop up it was just like not only did it come at the right time like i was in a crossroads where I felt I, uh, you know, well, first of all, I had to move. I was living in um, a house that was being rented out with some roommates in Staten Island and the landlord was selling. So I had to move and property in Staten Island even had just shot up tremendously. So especially in the area I needed to live in, which would be close to New York for my commute. So um, that was pretty dis, uh, you know, disheartening. And then here's an opportunity to move to Philadelphia where I can afford to live in a one bedroom by myself and to work for a label. I mean, it's funny enough, again, it's the Greeks, like Rotting Christ, Septic Flesh was still on the label at the time. Mayhem was still on the label at the time. Um, Destroyer 666, uh, Fear, all bands that I loved. And it was a label I really had been keeping an eye on because I felt like Every time I'd be like, oh, let me check this band out. I'd check it out and I'd be like, what label are they on? I'd look. And it was almost always Season of Mist. So, and then coming there, of course, I've discovered a lot of other bands that I hadn't been previously aware of that I've completely fallen in love with. Like Gaddia, well, to be fair, they were signed after the fact anyway, but I think they're absolutely incredible. Dareweg, Einer Freiheit. Um, just so there's been so many bands that I just wasn't even aware of and didn't even check out that working there now, I. I'm like, wow, holy shit, how did I not know about these guys sooner? 
So same like you, where I really, I mean, there's definitely been a big part where it's helped me discover more cool bands on the label, but I was very tuned into what Season of Mist was doing and putting out. So to see that opportunity come up was like a a switch. Like I knew when that op- when that job listing was posted, like that's where I'm going to work. Like I'm getting this job. Like I'm getting this job. That's where I'm going. Because um, it was just like, there's really, the only other label that I would say really connect with um, as far as their roster goes, and even not so much anymore, but more so at the time would be Nuclear Blast. Because they also have a, ha- or had a real good amount of black metal bands on top of that. I love all of the like old school thrash bands and they have all of them. But other than that, it would be season of mist. There's yeah. really no other label. I love that much. And also, uh, you know, Gordon Conrad has a, a background in PR too. And, you know, he's like the, I, I actually, I don't, I don't know what Gordon's official title is in, in the label, but Label manager. Yeah. Um, I'm never actually funny enough today that they were recording this um, or this week. Rather, we're doing a rollout of everyone's like favorite albums of the year. So Gordon is listed as U.S. label manager and I want to say cat wrangler or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, he's our U.S. label manager. He He's our, basically the only other person above him would be Michael. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly where I uh, I suspected gordon would fall in the org chart actually yes yes you know? yeah i mean uh you know i i have a long long relationship with him that goes all the way back into the 90s actually and uh yeah gordon gordon's like one of the best there is and uh the fact that he has a background in pr and is also you know running this branch of the company is is, is probably good for you too uh <laughs> no i mean uh in some ways yes but in other ways you know when someone did pr not even not even talking 20 years ago 15 years ago even someone who did pr 10 years ago it was such a different landscape than it is now so unfortunately there's definitely a blind spot for the era that he did pr in versus now obviously there's a lot of things that still are the same ideas that he has that are helpful but if it's you know, there's just certain avenues that are just completely dead between now and then and um, just the way things are done. Uh, I mean, you have to think back when he was doing it. I'm not even saying this to be a dick, but like people were still faxing their interviews right. to each other and print magazines were king. Now in North America, we've got what, like three, four metal print magazines, barely. Um, and everything is web based. So in some ways, yes, it is helpful um, biggest thing that's been a help is really to his connections for a lot of the old timers who are still involved in it now. But that's another handicap where you a lot of the people that were active at that time are long since retired. But um, so it is even like five years ago versus what I was doing then versus what I'm doing now, the landscape has changed so dramatically. So that's one thing where in some ways it is helpful, but unfortunately not as helpful as you would think just because of the um, gap in time. I mean, the other day he was telling me a story about um, something with Watane doing like national TV for this like Metallica thing. And he was like, it's when their last record came out. I was like, oh, like six, seven years ago. He's like, no, the one before that. I'm like, like 15 years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> this doesn't help me now. Yeah. The, the record he was talking about when Watson did this came out when I had just graduated high school. It was like 2007 or eight. Damn. So, so and it's like, I, that doesn't, you know, these opportunities don't exist. 
now as they did back then. Um, but, you know, I will say I still appreciate certain old school methods. Other people don't like picking up a phone and calling people. Like I know cold calling isn't popular, but in some instances you need to do it. How else are you going to get through to that one person you need to get through to sometimes? So um, that's something I think that some newer publicists don't, especially ones who haven't learned from older people, don't quite value or understand uh, why it's still important. I mean, you don't cold, cold call every single person, but, you know, if you're trying to get something in, you know, on Stephen Colbert, yeah, you got to call. Like, you got to yeah, call these definitely. people. Yeah, you know, this yeah. is one of the things that, like I, I don't know anything about PR. At all. You know, what I mean, I, that's primarily I wanted I wanted to ask you onto the show so I can find out. Like, I just know I make a record, I, I show up and have my picture taken. And, you know, you say <laughs> right. You send make me a couple like, music videos, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's it. And then suddenly I see all this cool stuff show up online, and you know, interviews are in my inbox, or sometimes are on the phone or a podcast. But I just really don't know how any of this stuff, like the behind the scenes works with any of this stuff, really. Well, first of all, you don't need to, you know, do a podcast with me. You are welcome to call me, text me anytime if you have a question. I could talk about this stuff for hours. And, you know, I always love talking to you. So don't ever be shy. You <laughs> could always ask me whatever you want. And, you know, my job definitely differs from the average legal publicist in that there's a um managerial element in what I do. Most labels will have a product manager who does some of the tasks I do, for example, um, scheduling uh, and figuring out where the best place for these premiere tracks are and, um, you know, managing promotional budgets. Um, you know, so that's something we do as well, figure out what your budget is for ads for this campaign and how we want to allot it. Do we want to use it for ads or do we want to use it for video or, um, although I'm not going to lie, that's one of the things I've kind of let fall by the wayside this year because um, there's just a lot. Uh, the, one of the biggest primary things as a publicist is definitely pitching. It's a little bit more than just writing a press release and sending it. That's like kind of the first you cast that net and, and catch the fish that you can. But then you got to really, you know, get them with the lion sinker and send people an email, personalize it and tell them, you know, kind of goes back to what I was saying. One of the things I like is tell them why I like this band and why I think you would like this band. Um, and it doesn't just extend to albums. Tour press is a big part of it. So it's okay. Tombs is a new record coming out. I'm going to promote it to these people, but oh, now they're going on tour. So I can hit up all these people at these regional papers and magazines because they're going to be in their city and maybe get some interest there. So there are two different avenues because one is more nationalized, whereas the other being tour press is more regional. So, um, oh my God, what else do I do? Writing, a lot of writing. I write all the label copy, like the, the blurbs. So any bands listening to this now on the label, if you don't like your blurb on the shop, you can let me know. Because <laughs> I'm the one who wrote that. Um, <laughs> so, uh Ads, well, I actually will only take responsibility for American ad text. I don't, in Europe, other people do that. Um, but uh, press releases, bios in some cases, I mean, that became too much of an undertaking. So we typically hire out, like, as you know, our friend Kevin Stewart-Panko, oh, yeah. we usually hire him to write yours, and I'm sure we will for the next one. 
But for bands that are newer, emerging, we don't really have much of a budget for, or they don't really have much of a history to cover. So they're, those are a little bit easier. I'll usually handle those. Writing press releases, um, collecting all the press clips, organizing them. Oh my God, visas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have to get all the press clips organized. Well, Gordon handles the bulk of that, but Dude. I got to get the press clips organized for the visa lawyers um that's been a big problem in 2022 <laughs> oh and it's gonna get worse it's oh, gonna man. get worse yeah. and between us like i can't mention names but there are bands who are not coming here ever again or at least uh, there, there's so much fucked up shit going on so much but like that's a conversation you and i will have off the record <laughs> you don't even know how bad it is and i have bands not i have two issues you know you have bands in europe coming at us like we want to come here and tour it's like dude don't like stay there there's a vehicle shortage there's a v like we have now bands that are coming here where they're going and saying i need a visa appointment and they're getting the visa appointment six months after the tour ends like it's just getting out of control they're become way more expensive um and then touring in general has become way more expensive and then we have bands here, like, I want to get to Europe. And it's like, sit, stay put. Like, seriously, it is a shit show across the board. Even though you don't need a visa to go to Europe, gas is 10 times more expensive. Um, vehicles are just as hard to come by. Like, it's a bad scene out there right now. Yeah, going to Europe, you need to have, uh, you know, your people. In, I mean, I just from my own experience, I have like guys, I have my, my people over there that I go to for right. certain things. But if you're trying to just be like, this is our first record. We want to tour Europe and we don't have nope. anyone to talk to. It's probably best to like, maybe sit this one out for a minute, you know? Absolutely. And you don't want to go on your own either. You want to go as a support act yes. on your first run anywhere you want to, you know, and that's the way to the natural order of things. Um, because it's just it could get messy and like you said you don't have your people there you're alone in another country you have to navigate it it's it's a lot you also have to navigate promoters you want to make sure you have someone with you who if you can't advocate for yourself can advocate for you if you have a promoter that tries to scam you because unfortunately if you're a smaller emerging band it's easier to take a bad deal because you don't recognize that it's a bad deal or work with someone who other people are have on a no-fly list that you're not aware of because you're new and green and so yeah having that support system and people that could guide you when you don't know any better is really important yeah i pretty much made every mistake you could possibly make uh in touring europe <laughs> <laughs> well or some of them or, or, or can you talk about some of them <laughs> uh, well uh, just you know a wide variety of experiences over there when it comes to like travel and logistics and uh you know, hoping we have enough money to, you know, pay for everything, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You know yeah, I mean? that's a good point. I, uh, yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's I'm, hard. I'm, same here. Like, I feel like I go to Europe a lot, and even though I'm traveling alone, as far as getting myself to the airport on the plane and to my destination, I'm never really alone. I always have people there. I feel like if I had to actually navigate these places and situations genuinely on my own, I would absolutely be Natalie Holloway. Like I would be murdered or like <laughs> it would just, it wouldn't go well. I, or I'd just be like lost forever somewhere. Um, I, it would just be a mess. Like it's just better. Like I, I, I especially in a country where they're, they're not very Americanized and they don't have as much, um, 
English signage and stuff like that. Like you try to learn what you can, but let's be real. The older I get, the more weed I smoke, my brain's not retaining like it used to. Um, you know, and I can only I can only learn so much language. So, uh, yeah, I can't imagine being there even just as a solo traveler without some kind of support net of people, especially people who are from there and live there and can navigate the lay of the land. Even something as simple as just needing a restaurant recommendation. It, it helps to have someone there. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, street signs because the first time that I ever went to Eastern Europe, like you know, oh, Pol no. <laughs> Poland or Czech Republic, uh, you know, when in, in the countries like Germany, you know, France, Italy, you know, the language has a base in Latin. So you can kind of, you know, you, you can figure out where you're going. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like uh, you can, you know, figure, figure it out, you know. Yes. When, when you go to Eastern Europe, it's it's a completely, there's all these fucking consonants like next to each other and weird accents and everything. And you're like, am I looking at like a street sign or the name of the town or is it a, you know, a restroom or what? <laughs> I couldn't make heads or tails. Right. And it's also hard because if you wanted to say like type the word into an app, sometimes they're using Cyrillic or yeah. letters that are not on an American keyboard, um, which is a thing too, like you don't think about until you like, you know, you're in France and you look and you're like, oh my God, that is not an American keyboard. Like they, because yes. they have different letters and stuff they need to use. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't believe I would be able to really, I mean, again, I guess, yeah, if I'm in like a center city in Oslo, if I were there on my own, I can navigate it. But as far as excursioning outside of town, no, <laughs> I would be murdered in the street. So. I, I just went to, uh, Germany as a, for the first time oh, nice. ever as a tourist. I went there, oh, by, shit. Yeah, I went there by myself, you know, just to, uh, hang out with my friend Ralph who also does this podcast with me. And uh, you know, oh, there, was, there was a um, you know, music festival that he curates called Unholy Passion. And um, his band Ulfa headlined it. Oh, I know Ulfa. Yeah, That's actually I, on my non-Season of Mist albums. That would be in my top five of oh, yeah. non-Season of Mist it, records of this year. Record is incredible. Matter of fact, I, I did not get to see them. They performed at a festival. I was just at Eindhoven Metal Meeting. But, I mean, this is how you could tell this band stars on the rise. You couldn't get into the room. They played the small stage. So, like, I, I, I just gave up. I was like, I'm not. I can't. It's, it was like an oversold St. Vita show in there. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going in. But yeah, anyway, no, sorry. They're, they're so, yeah, so you just went to Germany. They're great. Yeah, they're great band. In incredible. I digress. You were saying you went yeah. to Germany. You were hanging out with him. Oh, well, well no. This, the interesting thing about it was that, uh, you know, whenever I go on a plane to fly to Europe, I have, like, all these road cases and I'm usually traveling with these, like, suspicious-looking guys and stuff like that. And uh, this time around, it was just me and, like, my bag. And uh, I had already printed out my boarding pass and, like, I just basically walked on the fucking plane. It's crazy. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It was, like, flawless, you know? And, uh, I mean... I had to go through security, but, you know, I'm one of these guys who shows up at the airport like hours ahead of time. So, uh, oh, my God, I'm the worst. I <laughs> I mean, I have this like I'm going to jinx myself. I have like amazing travel juju. I don't know when it's going to end. I know that my time is coming and I'm going to be like one of those people right now who are like stranded in the middle of nowhere because I'm going to like I'm going to experience like a Southwest Airlines type meltdown 
or something because I've had exceptionally good travel juju. Even like, I mean, in the past, I would say like prior to like the uh, 2019, sure, I've had flights canceled or delayed or whatever, but going to Europe and especially these last few years, I have had so much luck. And I test that luck because especially when like I'm go I have to go to JFK all the time. In theory, that's two hours from here. But when you're going there during rush hour on a Monday night um, and, it, you know, or, you know, on a Monday morning or whatever, and uh, that could be a four hour drive with oh, the yeah. traffic. Easily, like it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I will show up and I swear I'm always at my gate sometimes when the plane is boarding. <laughs> Usually right before it boards. It's amazing. I, I was the other morning um, a couple of weeks ago and I was going, I think it was, yeah, on my flight to Denver. I showed up to the airport, look at my phone. My gate is boarding in eight minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I got time for coffee. So I go and there's, of course, like there's one like coffee and breakfast spot that is just slamming. It's a local, it's called La Colum Columbe or Columbe. And it's a Philadelphia based coffee company and they're delicious. And they have a place right in Terminal A. So the line is bonkers because it's a morning flight and everyone's getting their good coffee. And I hear a woman on the line right in front of me going, oh, my flight boards in eight minutes. Do I have enough time for a breakfast sandwich? I'm like, oh, you're on the same flight as me. Yeah, you do. you're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I ran to Jody, our friend Jody, you know, oh, um, yeah. mm -hmm. I ran to her in the airport. I'm like, yeah, my flight leaves in like a minute. I'll, you know, I'm like, I got to get to my flight in like five minutes. I got time to say hi to you. Oh, my. I always test my luck. I, I mean, to be fair with international flights not as bad as it sounds but sometimes you don't realize when i'm like oh, i'm at the airport an hour early oh it's gonna take 45 minutes to get through security and then my terminal's on the other side of the airport and i've got to run there carrying two bags like i'm, I'm but, the worst man. yeah like, i i i you know no you're doing the right thing i'm the worst <laughs> i've made people late for flights like yeah yeah i i just um i'm always early pretty much everywhere i go which anyway. you should be well you know i mean it is what it is you know but, uh, I'm usually early everywhere I go, but for I just hate being stuck in an airport, and then I'm going to have to be stuck on a plane, and then I'm going to be stuck on some other form of transportation. So I feel like I just have this like compulsion to eliminate as much time as possible from having to be in the airport. On the way back from Europe, uh, I was sitting next to a vegan lady. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, oh, no. I, I mean uh, – I, you know how, like, you could just tell someone's going to be a pain in the ass, like, when you see them, you know? Yes, yes, that's a real thing. Oh, my God. I had this exact same conversation today with somebody else. Like, you could just look at someone and just be like, I don't like you. I can just tell. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's a real thing. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I'm on the plane. And also, another thing I started doing is as soon as they start boarding, I get on the plane. I don't, we you know, when they call the different sections or whatever. Yeah. I just walk on. I just go. And they and I'm like, stop me, you know, like I just get you on. You know, that's plane. good to know because I wasn't sure if they like can tell or not if no. you're like if they scan it and it's oh that's amazing to know that's life changing yeah. information. And uh, especially like because there's just some in some places it's like a self serve thing where you get your boarding pass and they scan it and this little chute opens up and you walk on. So now oh I've seen that yes yeah so I just go on right so I'm on the plane early I got my seat. I'm situated, you know, I got my book out, and I see this, this fucking lady coming. I'm like, oh, man. oh, no. She looks like a real pain in the ass, man. So she sits next to me, you know, excuse me, you know, 
all that stuff. It's time for the meal, right? This is the flight from Switzerland to JFK. And, okay, uh, which airline was it, by the way? Was it Swiss Air? Because they've got Air. really good fucking... Yo, they got mad good food. Yeah, they do. They do, actually. Yo, they do, yes. So it's time for meals, right? And uh, <laughs> so the guy comes <laughs> oh, no. around with the cart. You know, he's like, you know, do you want meat or, uh, you know, non-meat? Right, so I, I took like the chicken or whatever it was. And she's like, um, excuse me, uh, I tried to organize a, um, you know, a vegan meal, you know, and Swiss <sighs> Airlines failed to provide me with my vegan meal. Oh, my God. And I was just like, of course you did. You know, like, <laughs> of course, <laughs> you probably had that same attitude when you were trying to work this thing out with somebody. So, right. you know, this guy's trying to, like, help her out. And he's like, well, the pasta doesn't have any meat in it. And he's like, well, you know, is it vegan? He's like, and then she's like, oh, you don't know, do you? And oh, I'm my like, God. Yeah, because he's a chef and he prepared yeah. it. Oh, my God. I mean, this fucking guy is just doing his job. And you're the one with the, uh, you know, the crazy fucking dietary restraints that are probably, you know, made up. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Like, I'm sure this is not a health reason, and I'm sorry, but, like, on if it were something like, look, it's gluten-free, I'm legit yes, allergic to it. Nut. Like, that's yep. different. Or nuts. Or not, exactly. Yeah. That's right. different. But it's like, if this is a lifestyle choice, then you need to, like, prepare your own <laughs> snacks or go buy something in the airport and bring it on the plane with you. And especially knowing that you were in Switzerland, they have a huge vegan, like, that, like, I've been to Switzerland as well. That's definitely another more progressive country where you could find a ton of vegan shit. Like if I go to a coffee shop, I'm lactose intolerant. And if I'm like, you know, you know, give me oat milk, almond milk, they always have it. Like Switzerland is a place. So there's no excuse for this lady. I'm sure there was a million vegan options she could have picked up in the airport and shut up. And again, it's not something that's going to kill her like gluten free or a peanut allergy. So that, so she's like, well, you know, what can I get you? And she's like, can you give me some hot water, right? So oh, the no. guy gives her like this cup of hot water and she produces this bag of powder, some kind of vegan powder and makes this like mush out of it. And that's what she ate on our, our flight. Oh God, you have some <laughs> self-respect woman. You couldn't find like a fucking veggie and hummus platter. What are you doing with your life? piece of bread oh my god know, maybe maybe an apple or something like that you right know? you couldn't find an apple like a, a banana something lady what are you doing oh my god yeah oh so, my uh, god yeah so I, uh, you know, I i didn't really have too much uh you know conversation with her or anything like that you know <laughs> yeah i don't blame you i have a, a new thing where now when i travel i don't tell anyone that isn't like in my circle Yes, even at like a festive, it's just like a random fan. What I do for a living, I tell them I'm a makeup artist because twice in a row, once on my way back to the airport from uh, when I was in Denver and then right on the trip right after that on the plane on the way back, I had people like solicit me for like to help their like SoundCloud rapper. Oh, careers. wow. <laughs> like I was on my way to the airport and like the Uber, I wasn't, I'm sorry, I was not using Uber. I don't want to endorse the wrong service. I was using Lyft in Denver because it was significantly cheaper and quicker. And I used the lift to get back to the airport and everyone was just exceptionally friendly. And this guy's talking to me and he's, you know, everyone asks, what are you doing out here? I tell him I'm here with the music festival, blah, 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 whatever. 
oh yeah, I work with some of these bands. Next thing you know, he's pitching me a SoundCloud rapper career. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I don't do anything with hip hop. I, I can't help you. I'm sorry. And he's like, well, maybe you know someone who can. I'm like, oh my God. And then the trip right after that, come back from Denver, go home, go to Eindhoven. On my way back from Eindhoven, <laughs> this woman who happened to be very, very nice and funny enough, um, she was Eastern European, but she lived in Staten Island for like 20 years. And uh, now she was living in like Brooklyn. She sits next to me. She's also a crazy cat lady. So we hit it off. We bond over that. Very, very nice woman. But then, so I don't expect this woman to pitch me her SoundCloud rap career. I did not see coming that she has a son with a SoundCloud rap career. I'm like, no, (laughs) no. And like, she was so nice. And I'm like, you know what, here, give me, and she was also kind of more like, can you like knock some sense into him and tell him he's not going to make any money? And there's no, like, to be fair, she didn't want me to really help him with his career as much as she wanted me to talk him out of doing it. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Tell him to send me an email. And I gave my email address. I have many email addresses. So I gave like an innocuous one and he emails and it's like, yo, my mom gave me your email. What's up? (laughs) I can't. I'm like, this is the problem right here, dude. Oh my God. Yeah. SoundCloud. So that's my new thing now. I've decided and people, when I travel, they ask me what I do. I'm a makeup artist because no one's going to be asking me to sign their SoundCloud rapper career or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's better to just keep to yourself on the plane. I think in general, I don't like, I'm sorry. I don't like talking to people, especially coming back. I'm always so socially drained from whatever I was doing. The last thing I want to do is talk to someone. I just want to like, listen to my podcast and zone out and sleep. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anyone. This past year was like a pretty insane year for music though. In general, man, there's been like, you know, there's been great metal records out and also, you know, other stuff too. You know, it's just like a pretty solid year, man. Oh yeah. A lot of great tours. Um, a lot of great records. This is also, I think a very exciting year because this is the first year all the festivals came back. Right. Um, and those, I just feel felt a lot of the ones I went to felt bigger than ever. And then you've got all these like weird anomalies, like the double Hellfest that happened this year and stuff. So, um, I think in that sense too, things were really exciting and really healthy. And, um, now there's a lot of bands kind of coming out of the woodwork and either reuniting or doing, um, anniversary tours. So, yeah, and next year is also, I think, going to be another really big year for music. That's good to hear, you know, because, like, during, yeah. you know, 2020 and 2021, things, things seemed pretty dark, you know? I, like, was pretty optimistic in the beginning. And then, like, come, like, a point in 2021, I just felt like, oh, okay, shows are never coming back. Like, I really started to get negative over it because it just felt like, what the hell so once shows started really coming back and there were no issues and you know they were selling well and everything seemed to be going smoothly i obviously had a lot more faith and thankfully it seems i mean obviously stuff we just talked about before about why touring is a little complicated our residual effects of that but i'd rather there be touring and it'd be a little bit harder and a little bit more expensive than not even having that option to pursue that if you wanted yeah i've been i've been trying to go to see as much as I can, uh, you know, the last, uh, you know, half of the year, pretty, you know, pretty much the entire year, actually. Uh, you know, King Diamond, I went to go see, oh, not King Diamond, uh, Merciful Fate. Oh, right, Fate. I saw yeah. you at Merciful yeah. Fate. That's right. 
Yep. Yeah, we were at the same show. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, you know, big shows, small shows, like whatever. I just been going and uh cuz I took it for granted, man. I you know, for years and years and years I'd be really selective about like, oh, you know, I'm not going to go whatever. I'm just going to stay home tonight. Now I'm like got to go. Got to go out, you know, if you don't yep. go, if there's no people, then this stuff doesn't doesn't sustain itself, you know. I feel the same way. I feel like I was at more shows than ever. Same thing, festivals, more festivals than ever. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. There were definitely some nights where I was just like, I just have to stay in because yeah. I just can't push myself to go anymore. But um, any show I could actually be at. I, and there also, too, unfortunately, there were shows like, to be fair, one show I wanted to go to more than anything was to see Rammstein. But tickets were fucking insane. Like for shitty seats, it was unreasonable. Like, it was just like, you know what? I've seen them before. I was in the Fiora zone. It was amazing. I'll see them again. So there were some options, obstacles rather, where like I just couldn't go because I couldn't afford it. But for the most part, it was like, yeah, I, you know what? I've never heard of this band, but it's just a night out to support some music. I'll fucking rally and I'll come to that. I have to give my uh, my top 10 over to uh, our friend Jackie's uh, podcast. So, oh, uh, nice, yeah, nice. So that, that's I'm excited be, to hear that. Yeah, it's going to be featured. It was hard. It was very hard to come up with 10 records. I had to really put my thinking cap on to figure out, because I had, I had a list of like 30 records. You know, as the year went by, I kept writing down records that I thought were sick. And yep. I'm like, man, how do, who, it was such, I need some, some runner-ups. You know what I mean? I can't just like not give propers to these other bands who put out these great records somehow, you know? I feel the exact same way. We were, well, we, I mean, it narrowed it down that we could only pick from the season of Miss Pool for the one we just did for the label. Right. But even then, and we, we were only supposed to do three. I had to do five. And the way I see it, it's not even like a top this one, because if I could do a top, then I could have just done three. You know what I mean? But I was like, I can't pick one of these records over the other because all five of these have spoken to me. And it was even hard to narrow it down to five because there was some other, like the Woods of Desolation record we put out. I think that record's brilliant. And I really grappled with that. Like, but I'm like, I just can't be obnoxious and do six because then I'm going to have to do 10. And then that's pretty much everything that came out this year, you know? And then I, so it was just so hard. And that's just from the label side. And then I look at the stuff that is outside of that, that I, and records I did not work this year. And that's a whole big pool to choose from as well. So I'm, I might, I mean, I say I'm going to do it every year and then I get overwhelmed because the same with you is just, especially this year, so many great records that came out. What would you say if you had though, like a definitive, like top three or five or like anything you could single out? Would you say that there's anything like that? That's really, you could just single out as one of your definitive favorites. Yeah. The goat whore record that came out this year. Oh shit. Okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah That's on a, you know, unofficially <laughs> that's right. that's uh unofficially. definitely in one of my top that's definitely up there for me uh the blue douse nord record that came out that record's incredible easily in my top records as well the uh immolation record that came out way way in the beginning of the year that we almost forgot about. okay yeah yeah i know there's been a lot of that too where records and i'm like that came out this year we just oh we just had that with gordon where i'm like I said something about a boss being on end of year list. He goes, what record? He came out with a record this year. It was like, yeah, it was in February or March. Everyone like, it feels like a lifetime ago. What, what I'm really looking forward to 
and hopefully this happens someday, is uh, Goldsphere doing a new LP. Oh, let's talk. I got so much good stuff to tell you. I've got wow. a lot of good stuff to tell you. I mean, Goals Weird will do something that will be slow to come together because there's some other things that um, Christian is working on right now that one of which, like, you know, I, I want like I want to text you. No, I'm not. OK, as soon as we get off the phone, you have to tell me and I have to text you because he's got a lot of stuff going on, including like an unnamed new project. Oh. Um, but there's something else happening in the mix that's really big. Um yeah so you're gonna get that wish and so much more but unfortunately i don't see that coming out i don't see that being completed until the earliest end of this year um let alone being released next year like 2024 rather yeah well it's worth the wait you know it is uh, and when you find out what's in line before that you'll also understand why i have to say i think that might be one of my favorite things that the label has put out in the last few years is the output of Goldsphere, definitely, you know. Awesome. I still really want to get you guys to talk to each other because I think you would have a really insightful conversation with him, especially not even just about music, but just philosophically and about life. I mean, he's definitely not the character like you could talk to about slasher films. No, but no, I didn't think so. Yeah, you know, but he's definitely someone you can talk to and have really he's not a man of many words, but he's careful of what he says and what, like, what he thinks, and it makes what he says very meaningful. And I think you would just, just coming from uh, as a fan and having very similar appreciation for music and art, and I think you guys would really have a great chat. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of respect for uh, for him and and all, all. I mean, all of his bands, uh, Treldom, you know, and the work he did in Gorgoroth, you know, all that stuff is great, you know. Yeah. 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 He it's uh, I mean, he's an icon. He really is. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad he did that. That's also one of my favorites. But yeah, I know this has been great. By the way, I could talk to you forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're recording this. It's before New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So happy New Year. Um, yes. Happy New Year. You know, and hope to see you uh, sooner than later. OK. I'm sure we will. Um, we'll definitely be in touch. I'm going to send you a text about exciting <laughs> goal related news. And um, take care of yourself, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been awesome. And, you know, I'm always down to chat. I can right. talk the air out of a room, and I always enjoy chatting with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Katie. All right. Take care now. Bye. You too, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>